0: to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community.
1: Hello, Memphis. Welcome to our weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. We are brought to you by New Memphis. We are a local nonprofit that is working to make Memphis magnetic. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I'm the president and CEO of New Memphis. We are here every week to give you stories of progress in our city we're here to introduce you to amazing folks who are making change in our community and building a brighter future for memphis as we do every other week this week we will be spotlighting one of our tedx memphis talks we call this continuing ted which we believe is a very clever title where we revisit a ted talk from one of the past five years where we have been hosting tedx memphis talks we have an amazing talk this uh, on this episode We are going back all the way to 2015 to our first ever tedx conference and we had dr scott morris who joined us on the ted stage his talk is titled sometimes you have to move back to move forward it is a beautiful talk if i may say so myself i truly (laughs) um it it does the the perfect thing that a ted talk should do and that it marries the personal experience and anecdotes from a life well lived with I think, really concrete and important lessons about healthcare, about dealing with poverty, about dealing with equity. So I think it's a really important talk that, even though it's five years old, feels honestly more relevant and pressing today than it did even in 2015. So I'm here with my colleague, Anna Thompson. We've got two Annas in the studio today. Double treat.
2: Good <laughs> Unstoppable. morning. Good morning.
1: Uh- so tell us just a little bit about health before we welcome Scott to the, to
2: the studio. For those who may not know, Church Health is the largest faith-based, privately funded health care organization in the United States, and it's right here in Memphis. So kudos to Memphis. Founded in 1987, Church Health has a mission to claim church's biblical commitment and care for our bodies and our spirits. So what that means is that for everybody who is uninsured in Memphis in the Mid-South, you can get whole body, whole wellness care at Church Health.
1: Yeah, so they are, uh, I think one of the, I'm sure, I hope you as our listeners have heard of Church Health. They are doing incredible work as Anna said to insure many thousands of Minthians. I believe um, over 70,000 at this point. uh, They are serving uh, uninsured Minthians. They are providing lots of other ancillary services to those who are looking to live a better and uh, healthier life. So we're going to learn more about that. I know that this has been a particular year of Need for Church Health of of need of Church Health. Um, so I hope you will uh, pay attention to Doctor Scott Morris and uh, do what you can to support their work as we're moving into our next year. So without further ado, let's welcome Doctor Scott Morris, the CEO of Church Health. All right, so we are thrilled to be here today with Doctor Scott Morris. He's the CEO of Church Health. Uh, he's here again to share his TED Talk from 2015 but also just to talk to us a little bit about how this year has gone for church health. I know you have been an essential organization. You're always an essential organization for our city, but in a year like this one where healthcare needs are really uh, underscored and uh, access to healthcare is uh really on the forefront. Tell us just a little bit about how you and your team are doing and uh you know what what the landscape looks like right now.
3: Yeah, so back in March when uh COVID first became real for us, Uh, one of the things that uh, we did um, is offer up our chief operating officer to the city, Jenny Bartlett Prescott, um, to sort of help um, from an administrative standpoint. And as things unfolded, uh, Jenny has been in charge of uh, the testing plan for the city. Um, And she's done a fantastic job. Uh, She's one of those people who know her Close gets enough credit for this. um, No, she's
2: phenomenal. She was on our Celebrate What's Right mm -hmm. health equity panel earlier this year, and she just is a star for the city, for sure.
3: She is a star. And um, the issues of testing have been so complicated. uh, Most of it, in my opinion, has uh, the challenges we've had have come from a federal level. And uh, our local city officials, um, starting with Lisa Householder, have done amazingly good uh, job for for our city. And uh, anyway, I just want to make sure Jenny gets a, a little uh, praise for her work. Um,
2: Absolutely. Double shout outs for Jenny.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> we love Jenny. Right. We're big fans.
3: And then, so, you know, so we drive a, dr- do a drive-through testing site at Crosstown, uh, which if uh, people don't realize, one of the things that uh, we created at Crosstown was the ability to drive through the middle of the building. How crazy is that? <laughs> um, that was intended so our patients could easily... Uh, have access to our clinic if they broke their leg or something like that. But who would have ever th- uh, thunk it? Um, but it's also perfect for drive-through testing for COVID. You set
2: yourself up, um, perfectly. and it's mm.
3: probably going to be perfect for drive-through um, ability to get the vaccine. Oh. So uh, we are um, looking forward to all of us uh, what that would look like. But I feel sure we will be front and center for vaccine distribution as well. So
1: that's exciting.
3: But I will. The biggest issue for us um, is not COVID. It's that um, in Memphis, uh, over the course of this year, 100,000 people have lost their job. So when they lost their job, they lost their health insurance. Mm-hmm. And when they get sick for things unrelated to COVID, wh- where do they go? So it has been uh, an intense time for us to try to take care of as many people as we can every day. Um, but there are truly a lot of people out there hurting, and um, yeah, I just hope and pray that we can get back to some semblance of normal, not not for us to be able to go to the football game, but so that people can uh, get their life back over these issues of uh, what happens if I need to see the doctor.
1: Hmm. Right. Well, remind us, I mean, uh, that gets to the core of the mission of Church Health and how how you brought this work to Memphis, and it really is one of my favorite Memphis stories, because I think from an not just in the nonprofit or the health community, but I think as we look at transformational and innovative uh, leaders, people who have a big idea and organizations that that get built around that, Church health to me is just this giant win. And it put I think it's a, it's a, something that Memphis can not only be proud of but can showcase as best in practice and like a, a model for other communities. So give the the audience a, a little bit of quick history on how you came to Memphis. I know I love the the um, anecdote that you'd read somewhere that Memphis was one of the most impoverished major cities, and that's why you decided to come here and start Church Health. So tell us about its origins and then what your mission is and how you guys do your work today. Sure.
3: Yeah. So I grew up in Atlanta. I was always interested in the church, but the thought of preaching 52 sermons a year sent shivers down my spine. still does. <laughs> I have no idea how anybody could do that, but I read the Bible. A third of the Bible has to do with healing the sick. It's on every page. And so I set out to find a way how I could be both professionally involved with the church and be involved in a healing ministry that led me to go to seminary and then the medical school, Uh, did a residency as a family doctor, and then wanted to stay in the South. I did not want to go back to Atlanta and to the point you make i literally not making this up i read somewhere that memphis was the poorest major city in america and based on that i said i'm going to memphis at that mm-hmm. point i was 33 years old i was too young too dumb <laughs> to realize that what i wanted to do had no chance to succeed but so it's like i come to memphis selling out an empty cart and we opened our doors september 1st 1987 um and our focus then is the same as it is now So to engage the faith community, um, you know, we're not a federally funded anything. We're not a federally qualified health center, but to engage uh, people of faith, of of all ilks, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, um, to try to find a way for us to care for the people who work to make our lives comfortable. So we take care of the people who wash our dishes, cut our grass, uh, take care of our children, will one day dig our graves— They don't complain. When they get sick, their options are very few. Um, So we started with uh, 12 people. The first day we're open. Uh, Before COVID, there were 70,000 people in Memphis who depended on us for health care. Since COVID has happened, I I have no idea what that (laughs) number is. Um, So anyway, that's what we've been doing for 34 years. Uh, and, but it's not just about the doctor. I mean, we have 20 providers on our staff. We have 1,000 physicians who volunteer with us. That's not a made-up number. Wow. Um, we run a family medicine residency, training, church, uh, training young doctors in the church health way. Um, but we have dental care, eye care. Um, we have a really broad nutrition program. Uh, church Health YMCA uh, is... 25,000 square feet of church health space that we've contracted with the Y to manage. Um, And we believe in a broader understanding of healthcare. Um, Yes, the doctor is a part of it, but nutrition, movement, emotions, family and friends, work and our faith life, these things are equally important and must be in balance. And it drives everything we do. And then we are located at Crosstown. You know, the... You know, we're the anchor tenant at Crosstown. Um, we had grown into 13 buildings uh, back in 2011. And then Todd Richardson, uh, who's the guru for Crosstown, uh, came to talk to me about ways we could work together. And I don't think he anticipated this. And <laughs> I just said, well, what if we move in there with you um, to, to be partners with what became Crosstown Arts? And then, uh, you know, we've worked together ever since. And, you know, we were able to take a building that had been abandoned since 1992, that's the same size and square footage as the Empire State Building, uh, and turn it into what I think anybody who's been to Crosstown would say, how cool is this?
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a beautiful manifestation of of the mission of wellness because it is uh, sort of right. whole body, whole experience. And I feel like that's what what Crosstown is trying to do, be... Be a one-stop shop for everything that a, a, a healthy human needs from healthcare to, to emotional health. So that, that's fabulous. Um, well, tell us before we get into your TED Talk, um, for a listener that's out there right now who either on one hand wants to support the work of Church Health, what can they do? And for the listener out there who might need the support of Church Health, how do they access the care?
3: Yes, yeah, so to be a regular patient of Church Health, there's, there's two ways people access us. Um, one, we're a real doctor's office. Um, you call, you make an appointment. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, again, because of COVID, um, our new patient waiting list is embarrassingly long. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working at ways to try to work that down, but it is difficult. Um but we have a walk-in clinic or for urgent care. The criteria is I'm sick today. I don't have health insurance. The cost is $40. It's the same no matter what your problem is. You got a cold, you got a broken bone, you're at death's doorstep. It's obviously a better deal the sicker you are. But for <laughs> 40 bucks, it's a pretty good deal no matter what. So in some ways, that's the easiest way to access us. We start answering the phone at 7 o'clock in the morning and make appointments for that day. Um, so that's uh, if you need us that's probably the easiest way to get to us um, now since we are a true charity uh, we have to raise 20 million dollars a year of real money uh, to keep our doors open um, and so that there's our the easiest way to support us that way is through our website which is just churchhealth.org and uh, you can donate online securely uh, but we also, uh have a thousand ways for people to volunteer. Um, you know, it's easier obviously when we're not facing COVID, but even now there are ways people can volunteer. And uh again, the the simplest way is just go to the website churchhealth.org.
1: Excellent. Well, we encourage everybody to go to churchhealth.org in the season of giving. I feel like, you know, obviously our community is in uh, acute need right now. It's it is unprecedented and I know we've talked a lot about um access to food and what we can do in terms of food banks and all of that. And I think this is as essential. We're talking about core services. So go make a donation to church health and make it in the name of new Memphis. And we'll, we'll know that you were, you were listening. Well, we want to get to your Ted talk. Um, You know, so Scott did a Ted talk in our first year that he took the stage on our first uh, TEDx conference in Memphis. And when we sat down, and I remember this vividly for our very first Little TED committee meeting in 2015, and we said who who should we have <laughs> like who should we invite to give a TED talk, and the first name that came up was yours. Um, it was that we were like, well, we had like the you know the 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 brainstorm was what is uniquely Memphis and something we're like deeply proud of, but also is an idea that deserves a global stage. It absolutely deserves to have you know, to be shared and to really showcase Memphis as as our our greatest thought leaders. So um we were thrilled that you took the TED stage. And I I love your TED talk. And I will say, um, you know, from the five years ago to today, I still part of his talk, and you'll hear this in a moment, not to not to spoil the talk. Um <laughs> but you give some kind of beautiful and 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 personal pieces of advice. And one kind of core tenet that you share is that the people with the power have the responsibility to care. And I just think that that's such a beautiful mantra for somebody, obviously, who's in healthcare and who has committed their life to serving people as a doctor. But I think it's a lesson that I just really like deeply embedded in my, my personal outlook and thought that is exactly how, whether we're talking about you know how you interact with your family and friends or your community or, you know, as we think about politics. I just think that's such a beautiful and and simple thing. So tell us just quickly before we get into the TED Talk, how did you approach, you know, I know that it can be overwhelming to say, okay, I've got 16, 17 minutes to, to wrap up my philosophy with a bow, but how did you approach the talk and what was it that sort of helped you create the framework for it?
3: So first off, um, I was truly honored to be asked, and uh, th- thank you all for giving me this chance. Um, and I wanted to play by the rules. Um, <laughs> we appreciate that. Which yeah. meant uh, no notes. Uh, you had to stick within the time frame, uh, which was a great uh, a challenge for me to be able to um, say what I wanted to say. Uh, if. I've you know, listened to the TED Talk. I mean, I, I'm a storyteller in many ways, so I wanted to think about what were the best stories that I could tell that were most both personal and reflective of the work of Church Health, and um, and, and so that's what I did. Uh, I will say it was, you know, I, I give a lot of talks, and it probably was the hardest talk I've ever had to give. We um, like to
1: give people a challenge. Well, I
3: mean, I, I appreciated the challenge. I can tell you, I sat on the back porch with my uh, Bernese mountain dog, Sydney, and <laughs> Sydney probably heard the talk 30 <laughs> or 40 times. Uh, she never complained, hearing it over and over again, but she was my audience getting prepared, as was my wife, Mary. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I, I think until you've done... Uh, I I talked for 18 minutes without any uh, interruption, without any notes, and and then you really want to make sure you don't have too many hems and haws, uh, and and try to uh, have to repeat yourself over and over again. I mean, it, it was just intellectually a, a, a truly wonderful challenge, and uh, I'm I feel like I I did what I wanted to do. Um, I, I thought in coming to talk to you today. I mean, would I change anything. Uh, I, I would probably, of course, you would change some things, but all in all, I, I felt like I uh, said what I wanted to say back then, and, and the message has not changed. Uh, again, the, the mission of Church Helps has been the same for 34 years. Uh, some ways during 2020, I feel like um, people maybe better understand how important our work is um, especially when you think about who essential workers are mm. uh, one of the the, the real challenges of, of the type of work we do is that if you have health insurance you just sort of assume everybody has health insurance and, and you, you don't really realize how that person who's you know cleaning up or washing dishes or is a server or whatever uh, they don't um, but i do believe the tragedies that have come about this year have uh, made people better understand that uh, it is not a given that you will have quality healthcare in America. It, it just isn't.
1: No, well, that's a, a strange but important silver lining of this year that I hope we've all had our eyes opened a little bit. Well, I think we've uh, uh, hyped it enough. We are thrilled <laughs> again to have Dr. Scott Morris, the CEO of Church Health here. We're about to share his TED Talk, Sometimes You Have to Move Back to Move Forward.
3: One day, I was seeing a patient who was a teenager from the Middle East. She was wearing a black burka. Her symptoms were such that I needed to listen to her heart. Now look, nobody's ever told me this before, but I am pretty sure that the number one rule of being a male doctor, seeing a young woman in a burqa, is this. You stay as far away as possible, and you don't touch. But Thankfully, her father was there and gave me permission to do what I needed to do. So, as I came close, I started lifting up the burqa, and it was just black on top of black on top of black. But look, underneath it all, she was just a teenager, and she was wearing a t shirt that said, Kiss me, I'm Irish. The world is smaller than we think. (laughs) Even here in Memphis, where I live and work as a physician. but, But I believe that we could actually take advantage of that small world and use it to try to fix our troubled healthcare system. You know, our healthcare system, it is not making us healthier. Now, to change this dynamic, you know, we need to stop seeing our bodies as little machines. Instead, we need to consciously remember our humanity. You know, we, in my work, have, have come to understand that, you know, even in an underserved population, that, that we can, can do better. You know, that we can find a way to improve our healthcare outcomes. I believe in that. So, how would we do that? Uh, I have come to find that there are important truths that my work has taught me. That the first truth is this, that the way others see the world might help us. So, when I was a senior in medical school, I spent a summer in Zimbabwe. While there, I was immediately taken by the fact that virtually every patient I saw before they came to me, had already been to the Nyanga or the witch doctor. I found this incredibly odd because it was actually free to go to the Western doctor, but it cost real money to go to the Nyong'a. Why would anybody do that? So in order to get the answer to my question, I had to petition the Nyanga Association. It wasn't easy, it took a while, but, I finally got permission and then I I sat down with a very experienced Nyanga and asked my question. He immediately knew the answer. And this is what he said. I am able to answer the one question the Western doctor can never answer, which is this. Why did I get sick? Why did I get sick? That is a very human question and it requires a human answer. Other cultures have actually come to see help in a very colorful, robust, engaging way that is far beyond what science can answer. Which leads me to my second truth is that we are too enamored with technology. 50% of people who come to primary care doctors like me that they have no medical problem. They come because their life is falling apart. People come to the doctor today for reasons they used to come to the priest. I wish I had a nickel for every patient I have seen that literally within 30 seconds is in tears because they have such a powerful pain in their heart. But it's not something that any diagnostic test could reveal. I can MRI somebody's chest all day long and I will never know what love looks like. There are no pills to fix a broken heart, there just aren't. So the fact is we are actually training our young doctors to believe that the only way we can improve people's health is with very expensive blood tests and computerized diagnostic imaging, it's led us to have what I believe is an unholy love affair with technology. But by that, I mean we've come to think I can live my life any way I want to, and it doesn't matter, because when I'm broken, the doctor could use that technology to fix me. I hate to tell you this, the technology is not that good, And the doctor is not that smart. God gave us this body for a reason. And we have an obligation to take care of it. So when I was a third-year medical student, I was on a team doing CPR on an elderly man. It was my job to do chest compressions. In the middle of the code, the senior resident stuck his head in the room and said, Hey guys, when this is over, where are we going for pizza? And I found myself thinking, do I want pepperoni? <laughs> How did I get to be that way? That's not the type of doctor I set out to be. A few weeks later, we were on rounds, and another medical student with me, she was presenting her patient to the attending physician and She was giving lots of information about the patient, very personal information. In the middle of her sentence, he stopped her and said, Young lady, I am afraid you have gotten to be too close to your patient. You need to learn to keep your distance. Really. I knew immediately that he was wrong. Nobody needs to be taught how to keep your distance from another person, we do that naturally. What you need to be taught is how do you get to be close to another person. That actually takes practice. In America, we are currently spending 17% of our GDP on healthcare. On this slide, the, the black line on the top, that's us. We're spending more money than any other country in the world, and yet our health outcomes oftentimes no better than developing world nations. Recently, the Commonwealth Fund did a study of the 11 richest countries in the world, and compared us based on issues of quality, access, efficiency, equity, and other indicators such as infant mortality. That's the United States on the bottom. We finished dead last. How did this happen? Well, I blame Plato and Descartes. (laughs) Plato and Descartes convinced us that you could take a human being and separate us into a body and a spirit. We put the body on one side and said it's the purview of science and medicine. On the other side, we put the spirit and all those other things that really make life rich and full. Other cultures know that the only way to truly be healthy is if you see a whole human being. So what if we could turn the clock back? What if we could rethink our relationship to technology? So if we know that why did I get sick is actually a spiritual problem. And we know that our technology is not actually making us healthier. Well, what would it look like if we could rethink this? Well, I would like to offer a different treatment plan. I have a prescription for you personally and for our healthcare system that would be based on the virtues of gentleness, kindness, compassion, humility, patience, and love. Look, I realize that this is not the healthcare system in America. This is not how it works. But what if it did? You know, what if we were actually able to engage people in things that matter to you and I? I believe this is what you think matters in life. I mean, who really cares if you live two years longer, if it means two years longer in a nursing home? Life for life's sake, that makes no sense. Breathing in, breathing out, I'm not signing up for that. Are you? If we're not helping people achieve what I think we would all consider to be the goals for living, having more joy in your life, having more love in your life, and being connected to those things that are greater than we are, if those things aren't happening, then what's the point? So instead, I would like to offer three principles to help you fill this prescription. The first is this, the person with the power has the responsibility to be kind. Years ago, I was living down on the river before the renaissance of downtown Memphis and I couldn't sleep, i go for a walk. I was probably in a place I shouldn't have been, but it was a beautiful night, there was a full moon, And as I'm standing there, I felt somebody walking toward me. You know that feeling? He got right up next to me. My heart's pounding. I'm reaching for my wallet. I'm praying, please, dear God, don't let him kill me. He gets right up next to me, and I swear to you, I'm not exaggerating. He was at least 10 feet tall. (laughs) And he looks down at me, and he says, Ain't you my doctor? (laughs) And I look up at him and I go, Yes, Jesus, I am. (laughs) His name was Nimrod. He says to me, You know, Doc, you shouldn't be here. And then he walks me back to my apartment. That night, it was Nimrod who had the power, and he used it to be kind toward me, and I think he proves my point that that the way we use power is an important way that we see our health because it has to be about kindness for all of us. Second principle is this, everyone deserves to be first. My patient, Henry, taught me this lesson as a child. So Henry was two months old when I looked in his right eye And I immediately realized he had a retinoblastoma, cancer of his right eye. The only way to treat it was to take it out, which is what we did. Henry did fine. But over the next few years, his grandparents who raised him would bring him to the clinic literally with every runny nose or sore throat. It got to the point where Henry believed that he owned the clinic. So... Whenever Henry walked in the front door, it didn't matter how crowded it was. The first words out of Henry's mouth when he walked in were, I'm first. (laughs) I'm first. Isn't that what we want? To create a healthcare system where a child like Henry believes he's first? Where you might believe you're first? Now, if I can only get Henry to stop trying to gross out little girls by taking out his eye. (laughs) The last principle my mother taught me, don't skip the rapids. When I was a senior in high school, my mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. The doctors told her that she would probably live another 10 years. I now know that was an overly optimistic prognosis. The next summer, my mother had gotten very sick, and I had gone off to college, but I came home, and I planned to do what I did every summer, which was take a rafting trip with my friends. We made all the plans, and we were ready to go, and then my mother says to me, can I go with you? Every young man's dream. (laughs) His mother on a rafting trip with him and his friends. I say, of course. And off we go and we drive up to North Carolina. We get there, we get in the boat and we're going down the rapids and everything goes fine. Until we get to the very end and there's one last mammoth rapid We pull over to scout it, and we're looking at it, and my mother got scared. I told her it was okay. She didn't need to go. We go to get back into the boat, and my mother says, why not? And she got in, and together we all went down. At a critical point, when I should have leaned forward, I leaned backwards, and Like that, I was in the water, but I wasn't there for very long, because almost immediately, the hand of God, my mother, reached down and pulled me back in the boat, and the trip was over. My mother didn't skip the last rapid. At a point when she was clearly dying, I think she may have been the most alive she ever was in her life. My mother didn't let her uncertainty about the future stop her from doing what she did best, which was love me. You know, if the only way we can act is if we're certain, we will never do anything. But what if we actually used our uncertainty about the future as a way that we could work together and change the world and... I think it would be a way we could change our healthcare system. So, the next time you hear a news report about our healthcare dilemmas, forget the politics. Don't worry too much about the staggering economics. Instead, I challenge you think about real people, think about Nimrod think about Henry, think about your own mother. And I ask you, don't forget about the girl in the burqa. because really, deep down inside all of us, <laughs> we are all Irish.
0: is transforming our city through the power of connection. Be sure to stay connected with us by following At The New Memphis on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.
2: So in your TED Talk, you said that consciously remembering your humanity was important. And I wanted to ask how that had been driven home for you in 2020 specifically.
3: Yeah, so um, hopefully that's been something that we, we all understand that we are uh, vulnerable, that we are at risk. Um, you know, be, being human is just not something that we should ever just assume and take lightly. So um, but I think 2020, uh, for, for me personally, but for everybody I know, uh, it's been good and bad. I mean, we, we realize that we are mortal. Um, we, we live in a mortal coil. Um, Yet at the same time, uh, that humanity is what allows us to experience joy and love and the richness and fullness of how God created us. So in in some ways, 2020, I think, has been a, a wonderful thing to reconnect us to what it means to be fully alive.
2: Absolutely. Bringing it back to that foundation and remembering to give everybody grace that we're all going through something. I think it was easy to say that before 2020, and I think now everybody kind of understands it as a precedent like just as a foundation walking into any conversation you know that there's already things that are unspoken or unseen that people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis so remembering that humanity is paramount
3: yeah hopefully it's not trite um that you know we, we realize that every day is uh uh the, the only day we have that we're certain of uh, none of this is a guarantee um and you know it is a special gift that uh I know I am grateful for every morning I wake up.
2: same, same. You also mentioned um, the question why I get sick as a baseline human question and that it deserves a human answer. And that made me think so often of the like cliche about doctors, about being doorknob doctors, or you know not really going back to what we just talked about, remembering the humanity of people. Church Health has been kind of an unconventional or unique or innovative from the beginning. And to many, the healthcare experience is all about quickly performed checkups or doorknob doctors. But the staff at Church Health almost rejects that model and has always kind of been putting the humanness at the forefront. So can you tell me a little bit about why that's so important in the model for Church Health?
3: So we begin with the idea that uh, we are creatures of God and God loves us all um, and that uh, being healthy is not about the absence of, of disease. You know, We would argue that being healthy is ultimately about achieving three things, um, having more joy in your life, having more love in your life, and being driven closer to those things greater than we are. Now, we would call that God. You don't have to call that God, but there are things greater than we are. But more joy, more love, and being driven closer to God. When you think about it, it doesn't have a lot to do with the doctor, um, if that's what it takes to be healthy. So uh, we try to encounter every patient we see, yes, with their symptoms and their complaints. I mean, people generally come to the doctor for particular problems. But uh, when we are looking at somebody, it, it has to be more than just the sum of their complaints. Uh, because there are no pills for joy or love. Um, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is the pills don't really work all that well. Um, so you know this is uh, both who uh, we see ourselves to be and trying to create a relationship with patients uh, is got to be what uh, we care the most about. It's uh, you know, we run a family medicine residency, so we're training young doctors in what we refer to as the Church Health Way. Um, And it is built around these varied concepts.
2: I love that. I love the keeping the joy and the love. And there aren't pills for that, for sure. Um, You've also mentioned that people come to the doctor today for reasons that they used to go to a priest and how church health tries balancing the physical as well as the mental spiritual, which you just talked about with every patient. What has been the impact of treating the whole patient in the same way that educators might treat the whole student?
3: So, uh, Church Health um, is uh, fully embracing that there is a spiritual dimension to life. Now, I'm a United Methodist minister. I hope people don't hold that against me. Uh, (laughs) But Church Health is not uh, a specific uh, theological perspective. We're we're not uh, uniquely Christian. Um, What we believe is that Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, all all world religions um, sort of see – who we are as human beings in a very similar way. Uh, And you have to take that spiritual dimension of people's lives very seriously if you're going to fully care for them. Uh, One of the big problems of healthcare in America is that that's not the case. Uh, We endlessly end up uh, seeing people who have a pain in their chest and we do an EKG and we do a cardiac catheterization Uh, and we do all sorts of fancy uh, fancy x-rays, and and all that physically is normal. And we tell the person there's nothing wrong with them. And the problem is is that you can MRI somebody's chest all day long, and you will never know what a broken heart looks like. And I don't have pills for broken hearts. Um, And yet that is 50% of people come to primary care doctors like me Um, for these reasons that historically would go to the priest for. And doctors are generally just not trained to deal with broken hearts.
2: I feel like you, that makes you uniquely qualified too, personally and professionally, because you do hold um, advanced degrees in both, correct?
3: I, I do. I am uh, I think of myself as a pastor who acquired a particular skill.
2: <laughs> the particular um, skill of being a wonderful doctor?
3: Well, I spend my, most of my time playing doctor, but in my head, I am always thinking of what this means in terms of my pastoral role. So.
2: I love the yin and the yang to that.
3: <laughs> yes, it is a yin and yang.
2: So I know that you
1: at Church Health actually use this TED Talk now, even to this day, as a way to introduce um, medical students to the, um, the philosophy and sort of the ethic of Church Health and, and you as its leader. So tell us kind of what what do you hope for a young aspiring doctor? What, what is the alignment that they need to see as they reflect on this TED Talk?
3: So Church Health and partnership with Baptist Hospital does run a family medicine residency, and and literally everybody ought to care about our residency because we are recruiting young doctors into our program with the plan that they will stay and practice in Memphis for their entire career, Um, which means uh, we are training doctors that will almost certainly impact virtually every person in Memphis's life. And one of the ways we try to introduce them what we're about is with having them listen to this TED Talk. You know, I I hope the principles that I've laid out there um, are the types of uh, ideas that you would want your doctor to fully buy into. Um, It is definitely uh, the way we uh, work with them. I mean, look, they have to learn that the knee bone is connected to the thigh bone. (laughs) You know, we're going to get that part right um, they spend a lot of time at Baptist hospitals, so they get the hospital component uh, covered in spades. But when it comes down to who they are as a human being and how they are going to treat uh, patients as as other children of God, um, these principles in the TED Talk um, are exactly what we want them to be. So if that doesn't resonate with them, then they probably don't need to think about coming to our program. Mm.
1: How, you know, obviously you've been in Memphis for over 30 years and you had the, the seed of, of this compassion and, and this vision for church health before you came to Memphis through your faith and through the perspectives that you had on, on care. Um, but how has that expanded or shifted or changed in the last 30 years if you've, as you've been practicing here in Memphis? And what have you, what have you learned through engaging in this community in particular?
3: Well, one thing I've learned is that I never intend to leave Memphis. You know, I, I this is this is not where I grew up, but it is where I intend to be uh, buried. My my wife uh, has went and bought a little place at Elmwood um, <laughs> that is will be our both uh, of our final resting places. So I'll be
2: among good company then. <laughs> I
3: am uh, I am you know fully embedded and and committed to who Memphis is and and what we care about in this city um so, but in terms of things that I've learned, I mean, I've just sort of uh you know just in ingrained in me um these very issues I, I wouldn't say i've I don't feel like I've changed a lot I feel like I've grown uh a, a deeper depth uh into uh the the understanding of uh what it means to be fully alive and and what a a human being um, who is healthy. What, what that looks like. So I've hopefully tried to learn ways to live it in my own life, and then uh, I've I've learned that telling other people all the things they should do it doesn't make any difference. You know, you you have to give people uh, something to envision to to move toward. Um, and these issues of joy, love, and being driven closer to God. I mean, that's not just things that we want our patients to know. It's what I want to know. Um, I, I talked to the medical students about, you know, how did they do in the joy class in medical school? Well, there was no joy class in medical school. And so these are new ideas for them. Um, but what, what, what I understand is that all of us really care deeply about these issues. We just need to know how to better live into it. So anyway, those are the things that I feel like I've learned over my 34 years, but I'm still learning.
1: We're all still learning. That's right. Well, yeah. uh, as a final question, obviously the, the core of this TED Talk is about wellness as a concept and it being beyond the, the physical and just the uh, what the body needs. I think that Church Health has absolutely um, brought that into to full fruition and in your space in Crosstown and the, the ministries that you have across the community. So Tell us if you if you're not necessarily looking for a doctor's visit, but you're thinking about your whole wellness. What else does Church Health offer, and how could the community take advantage?
3: Yeah, so uh, we are very much focused on food. F- food is medicine. Um, oftentimes, we uh, forget that good food is good medicine, and bad food is bad medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so tremendous. our nutrition center and our 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 kitchen at Crosstown uh, is. Uh, very much about uh, helping us all uh, understand what that would look like. So we have nutrition classes. We um, have spent this time in COVID with coming up new, of, with new ways online uh, to better uh, teach uh, both patients, but the community. Um, so that that's probably a, a huge part of what we do that a lot of people don't realize we do. Um, we have a very deep, Behavioral health program. We're very much focused on issues of substance abuse. Uh, these are challenges that COVID has brought to, to all of us that sort of goes under the table and unseen. Um, so we we work uh, in a, with a lot of different partners on on those issues. Um, and then look, everything at Crosstown uh, was intentionally designed. Anywhere from having the high school there to Uh, Teach for America, Memphis Teacher Residency. There's a credit union at Crosstown because issues of financial uh, health matter to our patients. Um, Crosstown truly is a vertical urban village built around health, education, and the arts because we need all of that in order to be not just healthy as individuals, but to be a healthy community.
1: Beautiful. Well, it was a delight, again, a joy to have you here with us today today. Thank you for sharing your TED Talk. Thank you for being here with us to reflect on it. Dr. Scott Morris, I hope you have a great day.
3: Same to everybody here. It's my honor. Thank Thank you.
1: you. In Memphis, we always keep things fresh while staying true to our roots. And our green spaces are worth bragging about. Did you know that Shelby Farms Park is five times larger than New York's Central Park? And with a lot more to do. Memphis is also well above the national average in how many trees line our streets and fill our parks. There's a lot to celebrate about our city. Visit newmemphis.org to turn your love of Memphis into action. Yeah, well, that is about our uh, full episode here of Meanwhile in Memphis. We thank you for joining us. A couple of quick uh, housekeeping notes on behalf of New Memphis. Uh, we are currently recruiting for our 2021 Embark classes. What is Embark? An excellent question, dear viewer. I'm sorry, dear listener. <laughs> um, so, New Memphis runs a, a series of leadership development programs. What we're trying to do is make sure that you, you listening, Uh, that you have the opportunity to grow as a leader here in our community, that you understand what makes you a great leader, that you understand what your strengths are and what you can bring to the table, and you understand how to take those strengths and skills and experiences and apply them to our community's betterment. Um, So Embark is a program specifically tailored for our beautiful young professionals. A young professional in our eyes is a 20-something, somebody who is just a mere babe in their 20s. I, I can vaguely remember the time when I qualified as a 20-something, um, but someone who's in their 20s, who's working in Memphis, who's looking for ways to both, again, um, uh, grow in their career, develop as a leader, but also find ways to engage and activate in Memphis. So it just so happens that my co-host today, Anna Thompson, is a graduate of the Embark program. Yes, indeed. So she has some firsthand experience. So, Anna, and and I will say this, uh, you know, for um, just a caveat, Anna went through the Embark program before she joined the New Memphis team. Yes. So she was unsullied before. (laughs) Unbiased. Exactly. She wasn't being paid to, uh, to take part in the experience. So, Anna, tell us, what made you do the Embark program and what did you get out of it personally?
2: So, like many Memphis employers at the time, my employer was offering ways to do professional development. They were really keen on employees at every level, making sure that they were investing back in themselves so that they could invest into the organization. So I had a wonderful manager, and she suggested that I really, in my annual review, kind of put in for something like that. So lo and behold, they suggested New Memphis is a BARC program, which I thought was fabulous. So being a native Memphian, signed up, went to my first class. I got this in the bag. I know everything there is there we need to know about Memphis, just a big check mark on my resume moving forward. Well, night one, my mind was truly blown Mm -hmm. away by the different perspectives in the room from people who were right around my same age, even if they had similar backgrounds, native Memphian, non-native Memphian, um, newcomer, different parts of town, different walks of life, different professions, like... The way that we viewed the exact same pieces of information about our city was completely different, and that was so unique to me and truly transformed the way that I was moving forward and the way that I was living, working, and playing in our city. So I think not only being exposed to new perspectives of those around you, but working toward what a better city looks like in the future was really profound for me, and I found that with Embark.
1: I love to hear that. I'm like really into the personal testimonials because I do feel like, obviously there are, there are things that we intend for people to get out of the program. But I love talking to graduates because they all have something really unique that happened to them during the program, um, and whether that be a sort of self revelation, like I had no idea I was like this, or I or a, a revelation about their community, I had no idea that Memphis was like this, um, or just you know knowing just hearing people say I met lifelong friends. I'll say, you know, the embark program is a class of about thirty people. So you're with twenty nine other people that we hope you didn't know before, Uh, and that's part of the intent of it that you're not in a group with, you know, six of your other coworkers or five of your friends. That you are truly immersed in a community of Memphians who um, you've otherwise not otherwise would not have met. For anybody that's in the audience today, either they're a 20-something, God bless them, (laughs) and they're thinking about uh, investing in themselves and investing in Memphis and doing the Embark program, or they're somebody who knows a 20-something, whether that be an employee or a friend or uh, somebody in their network, and they're thinking about nominating them for the program. What is the one reason for you that they should jump in and put that name on the piece of paper
2: and say, I want to do Embark? Embark. Oh, just one. Honestly, <laughs> like I already said, the new perspectives that Embark can give you, the friends that you mentioned, I have friends now and colleagues that I can call on, no matter the challenge that I'm facing, either personally or professionally. I know people in politics now, local and state. You know, I mean, as <laughs> She's we work, got connections, I know as we as we work <laughs> our way up into our 30s and 40s and through and throughout our professional careers, you have those people in your corner that want to make this city better. And I think having like weaving together that fabric at an early age is the most important thing that embark does is it is taking all those individual pieces that are wonderful on their own, but they're we're weaving them together and we are creating that new fabric for the future for our city. Love it.
1: Well, if you now have your ears perked and you think maybe this is for me or maybe this is for a friend, colleague, uh, family member, go to newmemphis.org backslash embark. Uh, you can learn a lot more about the program. It is, I will say, um, it is a seven class program. It takes the course over the uh, four months, so it's going to start in January of twenty twenty one. It'll wrap up in May. All of the classes are in the evening, so if you don't have a bunch of flexibility during the day, uh, it's a great way to, it again advance your career, uh, advance your 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 network in Memphis, uh, hopefully not disrupting your, your uh, day job. Uh, so you can go to newmemphis.org, backslash, embark, learn more about the program. And there on the website, you can very easily either apply if you're interested, fill out a brief form, submit a few things, or nominate, which is extra easy. You just drop a name and email. We will reach out to them and tell them more about the program. So thank you very much. Uh, again, this was Meanwhile in Memphis. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, consider calling in to us to leave a voicemail to let us know. Uh, we are here brought to you by WYXR. It's our new FM station. They're doing amazing work, but we want feedback and we wanna know how we're doing. So if you learned something new or great about our city, we would love to hear from you. Just call 901-460-3031. You can leave a simple little voicemail. It's a great way for us to get feedback. Again, one more time, that's 901 901- Have a great week, Memphis.
0: Bye. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins-Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.